talk about ADD? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it because I uh, my kids ADD and um, and dyslexic, and uh, I just love people that are brave enough to talk about it because there are people listening that are, you know, feeling. I think you know part of my experience with my son and going to a school that specializes in kids like that called Fraser Academy. A uh, big part of what they do is uh, take the shame away from it. You know, they talk about it a lot. Um, they were it on t-shirts and, and that helps kids understand it and feel, you know, the right way about themselves. Like Max sees it as a superpower and understands that he learns differently from other kids, but that he's not dumb. Although that was what he thought until, you know, grade two when he kind of, we figured it out and took him to a better school. So when there's people out there listening that hear people like you and what you've accomplished, um, I think it's inspiring for them and helps them big time. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't even aware of my ADHD until I was 35. And the minute I realized I had it, I reflected back in so many situations or relationships that ended poorly or problems I had with employers or whatever. It all made sense. And I was like, why did somebody as analytical as me take 35 years to figure it out? And the way I found out was I had a, an injury from working too much. Like my C7 was impinging on a nerve. And anyway, I couldn't, do a lot of things for a while. And so I was no longer exercising, wasn't lifting weights and the anxiety started to build. I always had this outlet people who know me, like I could never sit still. Like I go to a beach, I'm like building the biggest sandcastle or digging the biggest hole or swimming across the lake. Or, you know, I could never just start one company. It was like five and then six and people joked about it, but I'm like, well, no, I can focus. I can sit there at the computer and solve complicated problems for six hours straight. And the only reason I have to stand up is because I have to pee and I forget to <laughs> forget to eat. And so I'm like, I can't possibly have ADHD, but that's classic hyper-focus that people don't realize. And that's a common mistake. It's like, well, I can focus for hours. I can sit there and play Space Lego for four hours straight when I was a kid. That's a telltale sign that people misunderstand. But yeah, yeah I was a late, late learner. It's part of my learning. You know, I, I, I learned about it through my son and, and my initial understanding of it was the inability to focus on anything. And I learned that that's true on some things and completely untrue. In fact, it's the opposite on other things. Lego designing building is, is, uh, was the same for him. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was all about just, I use technology and systems to build safeguards around my limitations so that, I mean, I, you know, they, they say it's a super superpower and that's a good way to position it for kids, but I truly think it is like when I want to tap into it, I mean, I just take a little bit of caffeine and lock myself in a room and I can, I feel like I can change the world and, and, or I'd never run out of energy. Like that feeling that you can just go, go, go. And people are like, how are you still going? Like I did it. I was saying yesterday, I just, cause I came back from two weeks of travel and my schedule is just slammed. I did 12 hours straight work. 11 of them were zoom calls and I finished the day and I still had all my emails and tasks and life and family to do after that. No problem. I can never run out of energy at any point. So that in essence, I see a lot of people, they tap out at two o'clock, three o'clock, they start to fade. I mean, ADHD is a spectrum and it's so different for different people. But for me, it's like unlimited energy source. Yeah. You're so good at building systems. That's one of the things I know about you and admire using technology to do it. Right. And that's, uh, you told me once that was part of, you know, something, I guess you started out doing for yourself, right. To help yourself keep organized and productive. Yeah. I start reflecting on that. And most recently, I think a lot of it has to do with anxiety and the anxiety comes from ADHD. 
So ADHD usually has a tag along condition and it like, what's it called? Generalized anxiety disorder. GAD is a very common one. And so like the example of me, like I can't sit at a beach for more than 10 minutes unless I'm baked or, or digging a hole or, you know, building a sandcastle kind of scenario. And here goes the ADHD. I actually lost my <laughs> I was saying you were good at building systems for yourself to keep yourself organized yeah, so and productive. The system building started because the anxiety that comes along with the ADHD would build up and it would drive me crazy when things don't move quickly because I always had to be moving. And so the first, like my first business, like clubvibes.com, clubzone.com, early 2000s, anyone over 32 that's been in Vancouver and had a drinking problem None at one these point. people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not you, maybe you. No, he's just tall. Um, it was driven by this frustration of having to wait in lineups to get in clubs. Like we were 18 and a half years old, like just lining up in front of Richards on Richards. I'm like, why isn't this line moving? And you get inside and it's like, the club is half empty. I'm like, this is inefficient. We need to solve this problem. <laughs> so I, I found like the impatience is my, my wife who's a coach uh, says it's, what's the, the my demon my, on your shoulder. Yeah. Whatever. There's a word for it. I can't remember my uh, limiting self-limiting belief or uh, you're going to have to cut this out. I can't, it, my wife will be ashamed. I can't remember the word, <laughs> that word but it's, it's the anxiety that would drive me to be super impatient all the time. And that impatience tied to ADHD would force me to look for efficiencies in everything, everywhere, all the time to a point it drives people crazy, but yeah. it gives me an advantage when it comes to like automating businesses or technology. Yeah, no doubt. And how important has that become in this post COVID world where everybody wants to work from home? I mean, it was a huge advantage. I mean, we got a 15 year head start on yeah. realizing the inefficiencies of commuting to work. That would drive me nuts, like having to drive and park and get stuck in traffic. And just like the first Club Vibes office, we had our, like we lived in there. And just getting in a car, getting stuck in traffic is an example of something that drives me absolutely nuts. So it was probably right around 2010 or earlier that we pivoted to a remote work environment. Um, we read a book. It was um, from the consultants that took Best Buy and Netflix and a few others uh, to a results-oriented work environment or ROW as they call it. I read that book and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And we also, at the time, I think we watched the TED Talk, Dan Pink on the science of motivation. Yeah. And so we wanted to test out that model and the way we did it, we had about 35, 40 people in our Yale Town office. This was during the club zone days. And so first we gave people Wednesdays and Thursdays, you could work from home flex days. And we tracked productivity through the roof. Really? Like, okay, let's throw in Tuesdays. Oh, my team's going to love hearing this. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then productivity went through the roof because we're, you know, we could just feel it. You can feel it. it. Like it was a fast moving startup. You just, we didn't even have proper KPIs or scorecards. You could just tell by how fast messages and emails and energy. And, uh, and then we're like, well, there's no way we can give Mondays and Fridays off work because they're just not going to, they're just going to have long weekends. Right. But eventually we, we did that. And, uh, cause the only days people were in the office, like everyone was just interrupting each other and chatting and social. And I'm like, you could just feel work was buzzing Tuesday to Thursday. And then it would just drop on Mondays and Fridays. So yeah, after probably a year or two of testing, we went fully remote. We shut down the office. I mean, we still have a small office here in, in Gastown for our printing business, like where you physically need to be there. But, and we have a couple of little satellite offices, like in Zagreb, Croatia, we have 
room for 12 and there's like 35, 40 people there and they just sort of cycle through. No one's ever really there. What'd you say? What is that company? That's our development team out in uh, Croatia. Oh, okay. So some places we have a small office for a big team and they can just sort of meet up, but yeah, massive productivity boost. And, and for me, that was like, you know, always looking for those little efficiency improvements. That's an example of a big one that, that changed my life is realizing that we could hire the best people from anywhere in the world, find the best, you know, financial markets to be investing in labor, or I can say that more bluntly, like find cheap labor <laughs> offshore, um, but also finding like the best and brightest minds that most perfectly fit that job. Yeah. And then telling them that you no longer have to commute two hours a day and having their eyes open up saying, oh my God, I want to work for your company. This is amazing. So when you find people that appreciate that, they will not leave another company for 20% rate raise. I've seen that time and time again, like someone's making 60 and they're like, it's got an offer for 75, but I could never take it. I'm not ready to commute again. Thanks for sharing. You yeah. know, like there's so much savings and time and money and parking and gas and clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of myself clothing, just as you said that, because uh, it's optional when you're working at home and it yep. can be comfy and not nice and just your faves. Right. Yeah. And all the, the lunches and, and clothing people will spend. I mean, look at what happened to the retail industry through COVID, like whether it was lipstick or, you know, nice office attire and the, the, the Lululemons of the world shot up and the, the banana republics went down or whatever. Yeah. You know. I worried about my dry cleaner because I've, I've, I, you know, the dry cleaner picks the stuff up from my house twice a week and, uh, and that was like, forget about it during COVID. And even since it's just way, way down. They must've been decimated like 75 or 80% by my personal experience anecdotally. Yeah. So let's dig into that, that remote work. Cause there's so many people trying to figure this out. You're obviously got a huge head start on it. Um, what is the kind of go-to platforms out there that are your favorites? So actually I gave a talk to EO on this topic a few years, but like right when the pandemic was coming out, a lot of people were asking me cause I'd been doing it for so long. The first thing I, I was saying in that, when I prepared that talk was you need to have the right business systems in place. And my two favorites would be like traction or scaling up. So you need to be measuring success based on results. You need to have your scorecards and KPIs in place. Like when we made that move during the club zone days, it was just intuitive management flying by the seat of our Yeah, pads. Not recommended. No, it's, it's not recommended. It worked fine then because we had everyone local. They were all in Vancouver. We all had close relationships. We still met up on Fridays for drinks and the, uh, the water cooler chats were still happening. Yeah. But once you have the right business systems in place, like you need an entrepreneurial operating system, EOS scaling up. And yeah. I'm sure there's others. That we have an EOS integrator, uh, <coughs> implementer, sorry, coming in, in, uh, later this month. Uh, so we're going to tell everyone all about EOS, uh, but maybe you could explain what scaling up is in case someone doesn't know. Well, it's everything you need to know to start a small business effectively. And it gives all the resources for additional reading. So it's a very practical hands-on book. I mean, it starts with how you structure your strategic planning and align on purpose and vision and values and set your BHAG or your big hairy audacious goal or your moonshot. That's sort of like 25 years out. You work your way down three year, one year quarterly, and then making sure that everyone's personal strategic plans which include their quarterly rocks are measurable, specific, that they're accountable to them and that each of those rocks are in alignment with the quarterly goals. The quarterly goals are in alignment with the, the annual goals. So that's from a strategic planning perspective. It's about setting vision, culture, values, and alignment. 
and then holding people accountable through those, those rocks. So as opposed to saying to salespeople, you need to hit this quota or you need to make this many phone calls per day and, or sorry, salespeople are a bad example because sales and leadership, they're pretty much naturally in results oriented work environment already. But say you take a digital marketing coordinator and their job is to do social media and you sit there and look over their shoulder and say, you you got to be here at nine o'clock till five and you got to do these many tasks and do this instead of like the task and the time you just focus on the outcome. Like what are we looking to accomplish? And you agree on those rocks, you set them and then you measure against them. And once you have that culture, now it doesn't matter where in the world they are because it changes from an extrinsic motivation to intrinsic. It's no longer carrots and sticks. Like Dan Ping talks about, it's all about, creating the environment that people really care and and want to be a part of a company. So that's where the Dan Pink part comes in. Like he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose as the pillars of motivation. So mastery is making sure that you're working on something that you're super stoked on, like that you have a great career trajectory and any good manager will make sure everyone, their team has that purpose is understanding. That's the Rockefeller habits, scaling up traction, your rocks and alignment, making sure, you know, what you're doing, where you're going and why it's important, but where people fail 80% of the time is autonomy. That's where micromanagement and you need to be here at nine o'clock. You need to dress this way. You need to show up to these meetings. When you take autonomy out, like that whole thing falls apart. So to properly motivate people intrinsically, you need all three pillars, autonomy, mastery, purpose, and then they're highly motivated, intrinsically motivated people. So that's where remote work and letting people choose where they work, when they work, what they're working on is total autonomy. Just get your rocks done. Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. And it's something that's, it's definitely not easy. And, um, you know, it takes two to tango, so to speak, right? It's not all about the, uh, boss or the team leader doing a good job at it. It also needs to be, you know, embraced by the team member, right? It's team effort. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. I think the more senior somebody is, the better this works. Yeah. I think young people that come into companies and there's more social needs to be filled, they need more direction and guidance and handholding. Sometimes they can not thrive in that work environment. But yeah. A lot of people, I would say the majority of people do. Yeah. I don't know. I hope so. I, I do. Uh, but that's just my personality. I worry about people um, not succeeding in this, in this new work environment. Because not everyone's the same and some people are motivated differently or just sort of energized differently. Like with somebody that was, you know, inclined to go into the military or some really structured environment like that, where there's obviously 100% clear direction and, and very clear uh, hierarchies and supervision and stuff with that type of person do well working from home in a results only work environment. <laughs> Could you imagine? Here's your goal. Kill the enemy. Yeah. How do you do it? <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Chaos. Yeah. No, I, I saw your, I re listened to your last podcast with, with Leon and I think you guys were talking a bit about that. And I mean, there's for sure limitations, but for me, it's the pros dramatically outweigh the cons. So the biggest limitation that we're always working to resolve is social yeah. connection and the water cooler effect. So yeah. one thing that we do for that was hire in clusters. So we have a team, there's about 12 to 15 people down in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and we just hired a girl in Panama. Now Panama is on our list and we're going to try to quickly get two, three people in there so that once a month she can be part of a meetup. So 
we find when we hire people around the world, like we're in about 13, 14 countries right now. Wow. When you, if you only have one person in that country or that city, they can't do monthly meetups and your chance of your turnover rates go way, way up. So yeah, um, that shows that, you know, another company comes along, recruits them with a nice office and a cool team. And I think you talked about that and suddenly they get wooed away and think that maybe their work environment isn't that good. And yeah, they forget, they forget. Yeah. So step one for companies, for people, teams trying to figure this out. Step one is you need the business structure there, mainly around like strategy, clarified accountabilities, goals, jobs, well-described through scorecards or whatever is the chosen kind of methodology. That's the foundation that you need. So if you don't have that, get that figured out first before you decide to, you know, work remotely. And with that core values are huge. Like it took me a while to figure that one out. But as long as you're hiring and rewarding people based on core value alignment, that's key so that you can still build that culture even remotely. So you're not just hiring talent and plugging them in. You're like very carefully checking for a core value alignment. Yeah. So let's say that's figured out. What's uh, what's next? What do you what technology do you layer on top of that? I mean, first, we'd, I would recommend a test like what we did in Vancouver is just send people home and see what breaks. Yeah. So, I mean, 12, 15 years ago, whenever we started, it was a little bit more challenging on our blackberries and whatever we had back then but now i mean we our tech stack is it's a sauna for task management you need some sort of project management accountability software sales teams of course you need to have your crm all of your tech needs to be up in the cloud you're probably on google workspace or microsoft teams we all have either slack or teams or what have you so everyone pretty much already has all those tools 10 12 years ago we were playing around with yammer and whatever you know yeah (laughs) let's try to figure it out go to meeting that's you know crap they're still around but clunky you know now it's just so easy google yeah. meet zoom so all the tools are there i don't think you really need to research them anymore you're probably already using them all if you're not like just ask anybody who's got a, <laughs> a company that's making money and but it sounds like you don't have a recommendation as to which are the best like what do you think about microsoft teams versus google combined with slack and uh some other random. I think it's like kind of like Android versus iPhone or Microsoft versus Google or it's just opinion in my, in, in my opinion. It's whatever you're used to. So we're not a Microsoft house. Like I was a big fan of Google. Everything was just back in the day free and up in the cloud. And I can't stand it when my lawyers would send me, you know, attachments for the, the PDF file. and then yeah. there's two files and one's black line. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm opening up two files to see the change you made on that. And then I have to like find a way to edit your Acrobat, like, or whatever. It's just horrible. So I got addicted to Google right from the beginning, Google drive, Google docs. We've been using them for 12 since they came out and that online collaboration. I know Microsoft teams and 365 online, whatever it's called, like that has the same stuff now, but they didn't at the beginning. And that's what got me hooked onto Google. And now we're all Google except for Asana and Slack. What do you use Hub, HubSpot for? I probably should. I mean, we've been testing it out in fits and spurts, but we don't actually have salespeople. We don't have a CRM in our company. We have an internal proprietary tech platform we sort of built for ourselves. And we actually use Asana as a lightweight CRM. So when we've used uh, HubSpot in the past, like when we're running for a digital marketing agency, we'll run for like one of our bigger clients, like Glow Christmas. One year we had 10 shows worldwide. We were recruiting 100 to 150 social media ambassadors in 10 markets and we had to reach out to 10x as many people then we were like using 
data mining and teams offshore to build lists of potential influencers, we would drop them into HubSpot and then we would do drip email um, asking people to sign up or if they're interested. And when they said they were, we could automate the journeys, like the communication flows. And then we'd use like Panda docs to get a digital signature. And so just creating all the sort of automated roles with sort of high volume sales or communications. But in my world, I mean, I have 35, 40 clients within my marketing agency. I know who they all are and they have, you know, maybe do two, three deals a month. So personally, we don't need CRM. Um, for someone who's so efficiency focused, that's pretty crazy. But you know, I used salesforce.com for the first 10 years. Like I used it for six months when it was free. I've played around with that stuff. But I think if you have high value, low volume clients, it's not always necessary. Interesting. What about Asana? How's your experience been with Asana? I should get commissions or something. I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been pushing Asana on people for, since it came out, I've been, I was one of the very first users um, you go through my documentation of my company for various things. You find a file from like nine years ago and you're like, oh, that's what Asana used to look like. We've been with it for, I don't know, like over 10 years. We'll push it on me. Why do you like it? Uh, I, again, I think it's a preference thing. I'm sure Microsoft Teams is as good as Google Workspace and all the whole suite. I mean, those big tech companies are great at getting you sucked in and, and making them sticky, like whether it's Amazon or what have you. I'm sure like the competitors that we see in that space, it's like Monday is big or ClickUp or Trello seems to be fading. There's, there's a bunch there within the marketing agency world. I think Asana is, is the dominant choice. Asana and HubSpot are the top two in terms of CRM and task management. But when you get into more technical task management, like software development agencies, a lot of them are using Jira. Um, what do I like about it? I mean, it's what I'm used to. Yeah. It's super flexible. It can do anything you want. It's kind of like the early days of Google Docs. You know, they just constantly new features coming out. You just feel like, oh, cool, I got that. Oh, cool. I've been bugging them for, they keep popping up that little net promoter score. What more can we do for like 10 years? I'm like offline mode, offline mode. Yeah. For when you're on an airplane and you can't do your work, Yeah, that drives me nuts. Google has that. Asana doesn't. But I mean, we use them for everything. I like, I've taken the whole strategic planning framework from scaling up and I do it in Asana, our daily, our one-on-ones, our, our like weekly accountability, all of our client dashboards, performance dashboards are all customized in there. So not just in our CRM, we have our sales, our leads funnel, our projected profitability, our sales, our client dashboard, and of course what it's built for our task management. So you can adapt to, it. it's kind of something like smart sheets where, which I don't use, but I know you can just you can go into Google spreadsheets and turn them into not just accounting financials, but you can turn them into like a lightweight CRM. It's like that. It's just super flexible. That's what Monday.com is. It's basically someone took a spreadsheet and just layered a bunch of if this, then that type functionality onto it and, and took it public and made a billion dollars. So yeah. do you do that for other people? Do you help uh, companies, you know, set up these systems? I know you're mainly a digital marketer, but you do a lot of different things. Is this one of the things that you do? Could someone contact you if they wanted you to help them get set up on HubSpot and Asana? Well, Asana, we've done a lot of that, but it's not like a paid for service. It's usually like somebody in EO will say, Hey, can you help me? And we'll do some free consulting. It's not, a, not a service, but yeah, I love going into messy systems and cleaning them up. And one thing that I enjoy the most about sort of consulting, which marketing agency is consulting work or just when you can take years and years of experience and boil it down into a five minute soundbite and save somebody like 10% of their time, 
it's rewarding. You're helping yeah. people with very little effort. So I do a lot of random, I would say consulting favors for my EO community and it, <laughs> it feels rewarding. <laughs> Doesn't pay well. <laughs> so what is it that you do mainly? It's, it's digital marketing. That's your bread and butter, your nine to five, so to speak. That's where you spend most of your time and, and, uh, energy. If I didn't have ADHD, that would be correct. Yeah. So what else is going on? Well, that so that is my brand, but that's 80% of my time is the marketing agency, my own marketing. We have a SaaS play. So well, rewinding a bit, like I've always been a SaaS guy back club vibes, club zone. Those were software marketing as a service for nightclubs. Get your tickets online or, or ticketzone.com. The ticketing projects are all software as a service. How I would they pay you? I mean, when ticketing, you pay through the service charge or the clients, we take a, percentage of every ticket sold through the club zone club vibes days. It was, I mean, we're an online publication, so we had ad revenue and other things as well, but our core clients and nightclubs would pay a monthly access fee to use the software. And, you know, we click a button and they were featured. And I was always a big fan of those business models. I never wanted to be a guy who was trading time for money. I wanted to build something that was globally scalable. And those models are hard to hit when they hit, they're huge. And you look at the guys that are doing them like, I want that, but so when club zone kind of collapsed and we fire sold the asset and we went into my zone, the agency, we had to go back to basics because we lost a lot of money and we were in a bit of a financial tailspin. So that's when I got back into sort of agency life and trading time for money. Like where's our moonshot? So we built the software development agency, digital marketing agency, built up our cash flows and started to reinvest in our moonshot. So my second favorite project right now is it's called agency suite. It's taking 22 years of obsession with efficiency and baking it into software to help digital marketing agencies operate more efficiently. So think salesforce.com, but for marketing agencies or SAP or Oracle NetSuite for marketing agencies. So that project, we, we've been investing into it for about six years now, five years are on our own. So whenever we had Slack resources with our development team, we would throw them on this project. And it was just about personally operating our own agencies better. And it was about a year ago, I ran into this guy on the internet. I was just Googling around for agency consultants that would help me make my agency better. I ran into this guy in Philadelphia. His name is uh, Nick Eubanks, super awesome guy. And we just connected and he was showing me all the systems that he was doing to help agencies because he consults. And when I showed him the software that we'd been building, his jaw just dropped, his eyes open. He's like, man, you've got a real business model here. Me and my partner, Andre, our CTO, he was like, we're like, really? And like, isn't there somebody doing this better? Isn't there like a Microsoft Teams? Like we, we hadn't even done our research. We were just building stuff. For yourself at that point? Yeah. It had been five years of just, you know, we probably put a million bucks over five years of idle development time into this project. And he's like, no, I've tried Workamajig. I've tried Acelo. I've tried Function Point. I've tried all these majors. There's a big, big pain point here. They don't serve the needs of the smaller agencies. Like there's a lot that's service like professional services, including consultants and engineers, or a lot of them too, they will force you to like the bigger ones, like say Oracle NetSuite, they'll force you to use them as your CRM or them as your task management. You have to ditch Asana. You have to ditch HubSpot. You have to ditch QuickBooks. You have to ditch your harvest time tracking. You have to ditch all these tools that you love. And if you try telling a 40 person agency with a bunch of intrinsically motivated millennials that they have to get off Asana and it's, you know, chaos. So th that's what we're trying to do here is we're connecting together all of these different systems and saying, look, you don't have to ditch Asana. You don't have to ditch HubSpot. We'll connect it all together and then we'll automate your processes. 
Cool. And what stage are you at? Are you selling it or? Not yet. We're about a year into our seed financing. So we raised 1.2 from a group of six other agency owners. So we diluted 30 points and we've got six agencies. So, you know, here in Vancouver, uh, Skyrocket invested, they were building some automation tech around contractor payments within the agency world. And they're sort of rolling their ideas and tech into agency suite. Uh, we've got Leon, who interviewed on the last call, um, architectural visualization. He's bringing a lot of feedback around, you know, the real estate industry. Um, we've got a software development firm in, in Europe. We've got my agency here in, in Vancouver, Nick's agency out in uh, Philadelphia. And we've got Nora Vera on the video side here in Vancouver. And so the idea was, is that we, we were building this to automate our two agencies, software development, digital marketing, but we wanted as many different perspectives as possible. So instead of going to traditional angel, you know, 10 friends, give me a hundred grand, let's build something. We went with the agency owners investing and they all, we meet weekly and some of them bi-weekly, um, share ideas, share our problems. And we're really just focused on automating their agencies first. And once all of the founding six partners have their agencies fully automated and they love it. We think about six to nine months down the road, we'll open it up to the public. Cool. Sounds fun. You've been in that, that, that a while, six years. Yeah. And then we'll have our overnight success story sometime <laughs> next year. That's how it goes. <laughs> so you got my zone agency suite. Uh, you said you got a application development or software development as well. Yeah. AM2studio.com. That's um, a lot of different agencies in Vancouver and across the world. We white label software development for other agencies. So I can't list who all those agencies are because they like to double our rates and <laughs> charge their clients. But yeah, we, we do a lot. We have about a 35. Well, we do both WordPress development, Shopify, and then we have a custom enterprise development team. Um, so it's the same tech team that supports all of our internal projects. So like agency suite is powered by the developer, same developers, my zone tickets, which does all the ticketing for city of Vancouver and glow gardens, that tech platform is built by aim to. So all of these companies are very closely intertwined to the point that we just realized, I go, I think we might be an incubator. We have centralized sales. We have centralized marketing, centralized accounting, centralized human resources. And then my zone tickets, my zone printing, the psilocybin brand we won't name. And you know, there's seven or eight different startups. So I'm like, we're turning in. It's, it's at least for rationalizing the ADHD is we're, we're an incubator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, it makes you happy though. You're enjoying it. You like having seven or eight balls bouncing and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love every day. It's, I mean, I hate when, when I have an 11 hour zoom call day, I hate those days. Like it just draining. I like to be moving. I like to be in motion. So, but for the most part, it's all, it's like, you, you got to love that, that. What's that a cliche expression, but for those people that haven't heard it, like if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. I mean, it's so true as an entrepreneur and it's so true when you're doing career guidance within your companies. Like, so, I mean, I'm doing what I, I'm still sitting here just playing with space Lego for eight hours straight until, <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. You seem like you're good with people. I mean, if you can manage it, the size of the team you've got in 13, 14 different countries, um, you mentioned one-on-one -on -one meetings with people. Like what is, what have you learned about, uh, helping people be successful, especially in a distributed work environment? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm good with all people. I think I'm good with entrepreneurs that appreciate my energy. 
I know it can be a bit much for a lot of people. So that's the thing with, we learned with ADHD is you quite often give blind elbows to people. You get caught up in something and you accidentally clip somebody and you turn around, someone's yelling at at you and you're wondering why their nose is bleeding. And then like, it was you, buddy. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say I'm great with people. I'm good more with like vision and systems and getting people excited and making shit happen. But I know I need, like we've got a, a couple of people that are cleaning up around me. Like we've got an amazing HR team and they're checking in regularly. My wife is a professional coach. She just got certified with CTI and she's going through the team where we have this new fun score. It's one of our core values, make sure things are fun. And are we living that value? Well, through COVID things got pretty stressful and it kind of fell to the wayside. So like my strength is not people. I think it's more like building teams, but then as soon as I can get out of the way before I burn them out and piss them off. So how do you measure fun? Um, it's an arbitrary one to 10 score that rolls up into a sauna dashboard. And my wife will do a 15 minute check-in, I think once a month with everybody across the company to see if they're living that value. And then what more we can do to make the workplace fun. And what's the question you ask upon which they give a score one to 10? This is a brand new initiative. It came yeah. from, I'm uh, interested. It sounds like an NPS score, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah. It just came out of like, we have a few things they are trying to bring fun back. It was been, it's been a pretty stressful ride. Like we lost a lot of money through the pandemic being in the events industry. Like we got hammered and there was a lot of turnover and ups and downs and pivots that didn't work and pivot the other way. So it's been very hard on our company and on me personally, the last three years, the hardest years of my entrepreneurial career through the pandemic. And so our HR team, like we're trying to get like an annual meetup going as soon as we can afford to get everybody to meet up in one place worldwide. It's a very, you know, quarter million dollar operation. Um, we're getting monthly meetups just starting again in those clusters like Argentina just finally got their first one going again and seeing pictures of like everyone drinking and eating together just feels great. So we're layering in different initiatives that we know support fun. And then we're just, you know, what gets measured gets done. So now we have a score and then we're going to check everybody for how much fun they're having in, in work. It comes down to, you know, firing toxic employees, firing toxic clients, listening to your HR people, you know, employee of the quarter, that kind of stuff. Just keep layering it in and see what's moving the needle and then listening to everyone's ideas. I think fun sounds like a cool, uh, cool thing to be talking about. Measuring it is, is tough. But one thing I like about the net promoter score, the NPS score is that, you know, you can't measure satisfaction. Really? It's hard. It's such a big thing. And so to measure it with the score between one and 10, you know, it sounds meaningless to people that don't get it, I think, or believe in it. But to me that it does work because it, it allows people a safe way to tell you how satisfied they are really, or in your case, maybe how happy they are. You know, the way NPS works, if, you know, a popular score to get is an eight, you know, cause an eight is somebody that's telling you that they don't really want to be asked about it. They just want to give an answer that's going to see them left alone. That sounds good enough, but they're not really happy. In truth, if they were really happy, if they're really satisfied, they'd be a nine or a 10. And eight is kind of a blah answer. It doesn't mean you've got a major issue necessarily, but it, it doesn't sound as good as what most people would think an eight out of 10 is. And maybe the happiness thing works the same way. I like it's brand new. It's a month old. Yeah. Um, we have... Prior to that, we were using Office Vibe. So it sends out surveys. I think we ask five, six questions per week per employee and the questions rotate and they go in different groupings. And then we can see 
like an engagement dashboard that breaks it down into like division department role. It tracks it over time. It's phenomenal. Yeah. But that's one of the things that we're doing with agency suite is we're rolling up third-party tools that we were spending, you know, 800,000 bucks a month on here and there. It all adds up and we're integrating it. So we're actually launching a new feature with an agency suite. Um, sorry, Office 5 guys, but that's why we left. <laughs> we're just sending out the surveys and it's so important to track the health and also to, to um, we're adding in core values and recognition. So you can see how you're living your core values and then you can recognize people that and reward them for like, thanks to Meli for being super flexible and making work fun by doing this. So you can tag your core values in your props through the platform and then automatically shares it onto Slack. So we're taking a lot of the best of Bamboo HR, some people ops things and uh, Office 5 and 1015, and we're making them marketing agency focused and we're putting them into here. But yeah, $800 here, $1,000 there. This is starting to save us on the, those licensing fees. No doubt. Yeah, it sounds cool. Really cool. So what do you do for fun? This this is my fun. <laughs> With the work, right? Right now. No, I'm just, <laughs> talking about it. Like, um, this is fun for me too. Fun. I mean, winter, it's all about skiing. Is it? And the last eight years, up until last year, it was all about getting my son and my wife active on the mountain. And you last year. too hard though, right? You got to play it cool. Yeah, we had to build them, like, build them up into it. But I mean, last year we all hit. Well, they hit over 30 days. I think I was 29. That's great. Um, and my son is now good enough that he pushes me places where I'm like, I'm not sure this is safe, buddy. <laughs> so <laughs> that's young and rubbery. That's my winter hobby. That's pretty much all I do is like work, 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 ski, 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 you know, four day work weeks and just pound it and then disappear for three, four days Yeah, up in Whistler. Yeah. That's my winter love. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool, man. So what, what else is going on? Anything else you want to let people know about? What else is going on? I, I mean, mean, that you can't talk about yeah. There's things that we got to wait. <laughs> yeah. On. Yeah. Two, three years. We can announce that one. Um, maybe an interesting share is the, so I did a talk recently on the top 10 ways that entrepreneurs are wasting cash on Google ads and it's gone viral. Really? Yeah. It's all, not as viral as when I filmed that, the, the cop punching the cyclist in the head. Did you see that video? <laughs> Let's find that. I have to No, oh, you didn't see that. Oh, that was my most viral one. Really? Oh, that hit a hundred million views worldwide. And you filmed that yourself in Vancouver. Was that? I had a friend in Japan who watched that on the Al Jazeera network. And really? He's like, you're on TV. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it trended globally for about 48 hours. Really? You didn't see this? No, I didn't. Uh, but I, I oh, just go to YouTube and me. type. Vancouver, BC, cop, punch, cyclist, head, something. You'll the, the problem I made with that, the mistake I made there is I was so infuriated by what happened. I posted all the content online in a media folder and I contacted every press person I knew. And there was a lot starting with, you know, Global TV, Daily Hive and down the list. I had all the local press instantly on it. Inter I did like 10 TV interviews one day. But then the mistake I made is the content was reposted in thousands of places. And so it doesn't, didn't come like my personal Facebook page had like, I don't know, 15,000 shares on my first post, but very quickly. So did global TV and all the others. So, um, so did your own interview segments get posted as well? Have you talking about what you'd seen? Uh, yeah, the original clip went viral and then it, the clip was woven into all of the TV interviews. And then there was all the B roll stuff and interviews. The police officer was actually charged, uh, and he lost 
the, uh, so why did you start filming? I mean, what was happening that caused you to raise your it's funny? This was a total ADHD tangent. Hey, what, <laughs> is it? what were we talking about the, what else we talk? Oh, the viral yo video. Yeah. So Dan Afshar, who worked with me for a good 15 years, who just recently left to go, uh, work for solid entertainment. This was his, I think his roommate or one of his best friends, Andy Akavan. And I was just driving my brand new Mercedes GLK thinking it was cool. I didn't realize it was a girly car back when I first bought it. It was the first one in Vancouver. I'm driving down the Canby street bridge and I see Andy in a confrontation and he had his bike in front of him and I could see like just the posturing, just body length. I'm driving by. I'm like, this doesn't look good. Like there was aggression here. So I quickly pulled over, ran down the road and just got in everyone's faces and started filming. But I actually felt threatened because like at this point I'm yelling at them and they start yelling at me like, let me do my job. And two of these cops got really close to me and I was getting ready to run because I felt like I'd witnessed a crime. Yeah. And so that's your friend. So you recognize him. He's in a confrontation with obviously a police officer, but the body language says, I better pull over. Like that's this me right there with hair almost. This doesn't look <laughs> like I'm wearing my clubzone.com t-shirt in every TV interview. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I, I, I lived a block away. So uh, all the TV like wanted to meet where it happened. I'm like, sure. I just ran down the road over to the seven 11 there and yeah. gave the interviews. So what was the reason? Was there one given ever? Um, he twitched his hands, he twitched his hands his twitched hands. and he called it, he was resisting arrest. And then I had to go to court, give my testimony and then he was charged and, but nothing really happened. Like he was charged, but he was stayed, kept his job. Everything was fine. Yeah. It just went on his record. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to both sides. I mean, I haven't had this conversation in 12 years and I, my thoughts have, I've had some time to digest, but you know, these guys have tough jobs, right? And what pissed me off is that Andy was just riding back from my friend Dan's house on his bike, coming down Beatty, where Beatty intersects with Rob's like right in front of that Terry Fox pavilion. He ran that light on his bike. It's like a three-way, he kind of just came across. And then these undercover cops went on him. So they were trying to do their job. And then Andy was getting in their face pretty good. And like, you know, I have my rights, get the fuck out of my face. And so they were just trying to do their job and he got a bit hot headed and things escalated. I mean, he definitely shouldn't have got punched, but to pull a guy over for going through a three-way stop <laughs> middle of the night with no cars around and give him a hard time. Like yeah. they were both kind of had their points. They were trying to do they their profiled job. Him, yeah. They were, yeah. They profiled him. Yeah, totally. So that was your first viral video. And what's the, what's the latest? Well, the latest was viral in a, probably the most impactful way for me business-wise it's viral that nobody else outside of EO <laughs> would have seen. Yeah. But I, I just came up with some viral topic, uh, top 10 ways entrepreneurs are wasting their cash on Google ads. I remember. And I just, I started sharing it through various channels and use systems. And we had, I think 800 CEOs RSVP to that talk. And my previous talks, like that was my fourth one. I had like 25, 30, my biggest one was 50. When you get 50 CEOs on a call, like it's impactful. Like you're busy for a while, just debriefing with them and chatting and meeting. And okay. this one, 800. And we had of the 800, only about 400 showed up to the call, but then it went viral through like, I had like, it was reminding me of this cop thing. Cause I had so many emails and phone calls, like hundreds a day, like it was spreading. People were posting it all over. And I had, you know, EO global, I think is 14,000. Members, I wouldn't be surprised if at least 5,000 of them like 
tried to talk to me at some point within wow. a few days. It was from all around the world. And um, well, yeah. it's, it's compelling hook. I mean, we are all fearful of that, right? We're all worried that we're wasting. We don't know what we're doing. We know how important it is and afraid we're not good at it. It's the number one place that people spend their marketing dollars and it's the number one place people are wasting money. So I think it, it hit a nerve and everyone's like, I want to know where I'm losing money. Yeah. Let's and, talk about it. What are the top 10 ways that we're wasting money on Google? Uh, yeah. So if you, if you pull up on, on YouTube and just type in, uh, my zone marketing, Google ads, I've only done three videos and, and compared to the hundred million views on the cop punch. I mean, there's might be 1200 views on this YouTube. I'm, I'm talking about viral within a very small part of the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this is the video here. Like I go through it. It was crazy. I still had 200 people for the final hour, just Q and a Q and a, I was only planning to go for an hour. We went, went almost two because the questions I was using, um, Slido and the questions just kept rolling in. The reason it was so interesting is we, we didn't just give our opinions here. We were using data. See, we have a, a Google ads audit template that we've been building for years and it goes through like a hundred and something different points that people commonly make mistakes on. Yeah. And so over the last hundred audits that we've done, we were able to say 71% of people don't have conversion tracking set up properly. It blows my mind. Like Google, if you don't have your conversion tracking set up correctly, you're flying blind. And then everything else past that point is meaningless. Like that's wow. a big problem. Yeah. That's big. Um, somewhere that like branded keyword confusion is huge. Branded keywords are those terms that when are searched for, like if someone searched for key marketing, you know, they're looking for you. And if they typed in key marketing services, Vancouver, that would still be a branded search term. This really simple fix there is people forget to create separate campaigns for their branded terms. And then you have to take all of your branded terms, including your typos as negatives for your non-branded terms. So you have to keep them separate. And the reason for that is that your branded terms will convert, like say on a lead gen, if your goal is to generate leads for your business, branded might convert 20 to 40% into a lead. Non-branded might be on a bad website to as high as 17. And so if you mix those two together, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my non-branded campaign is doing great. Like say your keywords like Vancouver marketing services, and I didn't block the word my zone. And I would think that that ad group for Vancouver marketing services has a much higher conversion rate than it actually did if I didn't pull the branded out. So you end up overspending saying like, oh, this is working. And there's so many places like, like performance max, it's fairly new within Google people set it and you actually have to contact Google manually and have them remove your branded terms, like block your brand terms. Cause you can't do it yet within performance max. So branded often gets mixed in and people think, yay, Google's doing so much better. And then, but I'm like, if you want to test out how it's actually doing, like just turn it off for two weeks. And if they were bringing you a, a hundred leads per month, you think your volume would drop by a hundred. And sometimes it just drops by, 60. There's a lot of cannibalization going on within branded. There's confusion there. So I could talk about this for days. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good start for people to watch that video, right? Yeah. It's, and I put it all out there within EO, we can't solicit. So it's like, there's links, here's my audit. Here's everything you need to do it yourself. I'm not selling anything. And I think that's what made it go. Totally. Well, congrats on that. That's cool. I think it's a nice way to do business, right? You just give it away for free and and people, a lot of them probably most take it for free and use it and get value out of it. 
And it sounds like some are coming back and asking you for more help, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a, put it out there. If you can help people, like there's, I was estimating, like we probably saved millions of dollars on this one meeting for companies out there. And you just create a lot of goodwill with minimal effort and good shit will come back your way. Yeah. yeah. Efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Common theme. Yeah. So how long have you been in EO? Since when did you start? Uh, going on my sixth year. So 2017, I signed up. And how's it been? Awesome. I mean, the pandemic was a bit rough. Yeah. I had, I've just been getting back into the events and we just came back from Pelican Hill Resort. That was amazing. Wim Hof, ice baths. I'm doing it every day now. Are you? <laughs> I love the EO community. I'd say like half my friends are from EO now. And um, I try to go deeper, you know, with the team, with my non-EO friends. I'm looking for those 5% reflections, what really matters. And I think the EO community is also kind of like Amazon buyer seller history. You're out there and you, you have to protect your reputation a little bit more closely. You treat everybody more carefully. There's so much mutual respect. There's instant like trust. So like almost everybody that I've ever worked with in EO has just been really easy to, to talk to. There's that instant credibility and trust. So, um, I love it. I'm a, I'm a big promoter, big fan. Yeah, me too. We've talked about it enough properly on this, uh, podcast. It's like a running ad for EO, I think, but I love it. Anyway, thanks for coming, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Do you think, uh, Nick Cassidy, you think we probably need his help with some, <laughs> we're just so classically entrepreneurial in that way. We need so much help with uh, systems and efficiency. And, and I personally love it. I really love it. I've got half a brain. that's like super energized by the creative, never do anything the same way twice side of things and, and reinventing things. And the other half that just is obsessed with efficiency. I just love like, for example, in my home life, I, 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 I have it's so much energy for upgrading something to make my life 1% easier for the rest of my life. <laughs> how many, and, how many Roombas do you have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and not as much energy for, uh, you know, the leaky pipe type stuff, right? It's just, uh, we're all different. I, I want to quickly hear your tech stack at home. What do you got for automation? Uh, you know, it's embarrassing. I don't have as much cause I am a little bit, um, obsessed with my work and, um, Lisa is super hippie and not really into, into that type of stuff. So I just have obviously a ring doorbell. So I mean, who can't have that nowadays? Right. And I've got one camera just down the side of my house with an automated light, but I'm shockingly low tech in a lot of ways. And I just have some sort of hippie vibes that keep my kind of home life separate from my sort of tech work life or obsession around that kind of stuff. Like, uh, uh, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but we've lived there eight years. I've never even locked my door. Not once. Never carried a key. Yeah, cut, cut that out. <laughs> just don't put my home address. Um, and I, and so I don't have like, I have an alarm system that came with the house when it was built eight years ago. I've never ever once turned it on. I really don't care about that kind of stuff. I like keep it, uh, just keep it chill, you know, for the most part. Um, when I talk about like endless energy for like building efficiency and stuff, it'll be around like how I spend my time, you know, <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous, but I, I like 
I like things organized, right? I find it very relaxing in, uh, to the eye, relaxing to the mind. People think about creative people that they're messy and maybe sometimes they are, but when you're actually being creative, like having a blank slate type of environment, I find is the best. And I think a lot of creative people do. And so my home life is a little bit like that. And when I, um, you know, come home even like through the mudroom, you know, I don't like seeing like a disaster. If there was like school bags being hung up on the, the part of the hallway that caused you to um, have to walk around them every time you walk through the mudroom to the kitchen or something like that, I would remove all of the hooks and move that to a different place so that everybody could just step one step closer to the wall and save themselves a fraction of a second, 10 times a day for the rest of their lives. Uh, just weird stuff like that, where they recycle everything, batteries and just all, uh, you know, electronic equipment, everything in the garage. And it's just in the right spot where you don't have to walk around it to get where you're trying to go, but you don't have to walk too far to be able to recycle something. Anyway, it sounds so weird, but it's all that kind of stuff, but it's not, not, not super techie cause we're pretty chill. I love it. And I, I use the wrong word. I shouldn't have said tech stack. It's you're right. It's 80% non-tech. Like one new one I'm going to start. It's been on my hit list for a while. Like I always come up with ideas like, oh, this will be 1% faster. This will save me. Do you do that math? Like 10 seconds a day, 365 days a year. Like, oh my God, I'm going to live an extra year for my, for moving the paper towel holder, whatever. So, so one idea I just came up with, well, a while ago, but it didn't make sense through COVID was having my bathroom bag for travel pre-packed with everything. Oh but my God, I do that. You do that right? I swear okay. to God. It's in my drawer. I pull it out every yeah. morning and so I... The only thing that's missing is um, an extra electric toothbrush. I was too cheap to spend 140 bucks <laughs> on it, but I was going to do it. Oh, and you mean you got a separate one? Yeah. I'll have no, I live out of my travel bag. It sits, it slides oh, perfectly into my drawer. That's even more efficient. Yeah, yeah. See, I've got you for every time You're I travel. Money, I don't have to pack it. It's yeah. right there. Okay. Uh, that's weird, man. Like brothers from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> Just grab and go. It's great. Or, or having like, I was looking like uh, back and forth to Whistler. Like I don't have a place in Whistler and I go back and forth quite a bit. So someone was talking about like having a locker, like just renting a locker, having my ski gear up there and just being able to go out the door. I think it's at the, the base of Whistler Blackcomb. There's that big hotel. They actually can rent out lockers there. Yeah. So looking for things like that, where I'm like, how much time do I spend like grabbing my gear, bring it to the car? And I could just leave it in West with those sorts of things. I'm all, oh, all, all about it. I'm all over that too. You know how many t-shirts you have? T-shirts? I got 41. <laughs> <laughs> 41 t-shirts, including long sleeve t-shirts, everything without a collar, 41. Do they all uh, have your name on them? Or? Suits? No, just <laughs> <laughs> only this one. Uh, three suits. Uh, but yeah, I like, I like my shit tight. You know, I don't like it time wasted deciding kind of like what to wear or waiting through a mess or anything well, like that's, that. That's Mark Zuckerberg gave me that one. You see this shirt I'm wearing? I do. I have eight of them. Exactly the same? Well, they're different colors. <laughs> that's cool. But I, I wear the same clothes to work every day. Yeah. It's Lululemon pants. This is a Lululemon polo kind of shirt that works in a Zoom call. You can't tell, but I can also do my workouts and then just- Works in a Zoom call. It's got a collar, so it looks a little dressy. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it works for client. If t-shirts don't always work. Yeah. But if, yeah, it was Mark's idea from back when he was cool. I don't know if he is anywhere. <laughs> I still like the guy, but back, back when he was, you know, breaking, wearing a hoodie breaking norms, yeah. wearing hoodies and VC yeah. meetings and stuff like that's badass. Yeah. Um, he, he had that idea. He said it and it just saves you so much time. So there's only X amount of time per day to make decisions. And I wake up and there's 
no decision. I grab my shirt, grab my pants. I go down. That's next level. You know, yeah. So I'm, I'm down to like the clothing. Yeah. Yeah. How many, uh, chargers have you bought for your watch and your phone and your, your AirPods? <laughs> like I'm probably six, you know, because every time I see one that's just a little bit better, a little bit smaller, a little bit more optimized and, uh, and the number of times I every night put that there and every morning pick it up and stuff, I just want it to be just, you just a little gave bit me easier. a new idea. I, I, every <laughs> time I go traveling, I waste at least a minute grabbing my chargers and putting my chargers back. I got to put them pre put them in my bag. <laughs> you can, and they're foldable now. Yeah, it's like when I was used to live, work in Yelltown and then or I'd go back and I, I lived in Yelltown, worked in Yelltown. I had a two minute commute. I thought that was efficient. Now I live and work from home, it's way better. But just bringing the the laptop accessories back and forth between the office inefficient. Like you need to have your charger and all your cables in both places. And you just grab the laptop. Yeah, um, I don't even do that anymore. Laptop stays at home. Desktop here, so I can walk in. I just like having my hands in my pockets. Yeah, that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still next level because you don't even commute. I still commute it every day. I'm still yeah. sitting here at seven thirty <laughs> most days. In the morning. Yeah, it could night. be uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. I've already had three, four hours of meetings and I haven't even left the house. And then I take a break and yeah, yeah, no commute. Well, let's wrap, man. We have a dinner to go to for the DARPAN Awards tonight. And um, I would love to have you back. I would also love to work together because we have, um, you know, I sound like I'm all like super good at the efficiency stuff, but uh, in the work environment, my energy is consumed kind of pushing balls across a line, but not necessarily around like building systems for efficiency. It's more like we're in the results business, right? So I live, eat and breathe the, the results the company has to get and you know, the people in the company. And I think we have a lot of improvement to do in our tech stack. We're looking at a lot of different options right now and uh, could really use your help. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to provide some free EO consulting on any sort of tech system. I can usually scan through them and I just sort of feel like, oh, that's not good, that's not good. Yeah, Kind of like seeing the patterns in the matrix. I can see that stuff really fast and, um, or if it's marketing related, that stuff's like breathing. Um, but yeah, inefficiency just drives me nuts. I hate it and when I can help it for me it's like it's almost like a cancer within a company or within systems or government people relationships and there's so much of that i feel like we can make the world a better place if if almost like heaven on earth when inefficiencies are removed so, yeah oh it's a good feeling yeah i love it <laughs> let's do it thanks man thanks yeah. again it was fun awesome.